How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball, episode number 62 with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson. Don't really have a throw it back and chug stat of the week this week. I just thought we'd take this moment to, I don't know, say something about Vince Scully. Uh, just all-time legend, all-time awesome dude. Do you have a favorite Vince Scully moment? Yeah, you know, on our uh, State of the NL West podcast, I talked about a, a moment in which the Dodgers and Giants faced off in 2012. Um, you know, it was, uh, as a Dodgers fan, they hadn't been to the playoffs since 09. And uh, while that didn't seem like that long of a time, you know, I think I was in, I guess that would have been maybe in high school, right? That sounds right. Yeah, in high school. So, you know, my growth and development times of really understanding baseball, the Dodgers hadn't been in the postseason since like junior high school. So that was tough to go through all of high school and not see them there. And uh, so they were super close. They were, you know, borderline wildcard team. And they had to win out. They had two more games left, and they had to face the first-place Giants who already clinched. Sergio Romo on the hill facing Mark Ellis. It's a 4-3 Giants game. Dodgers trying to make a last-gasp effort here to stay alive for the season. Ellis ropes one. Absolutely ropes one. Uh, Would love to know the exit velocity of that, to be honest. Uh, But it goes into the waiting hands of Angel Pagan. And basically, you go from seeing what looks like a single to stay alive to – There goes our season Uh, from one bat to one glove. And, you know, you sit there and you're just like, are we ever going to make the postseason? Of course, you fast forward now and the Dodgers, one year later, they make the postseason and they haven't ever missed it since then. Um, But Vince Scully said something that just stuck out to me. Uh, He said, that's the way this game is. You win, you lose, you celebrate, and you suffer. And it almost encapsulates, you know, it, it makes you think how those words, relate baseball to life and right now the baseball community we lost somebody and we're suffering from it right but man it was such a win to have been and um you know we could celebrate him forever to be honest he's going to be one of those voices that we hear for the rest of our lives uh my kids will know about him um you know my hopefully my grandkids will know about him too and so i i just think that his voice was timeless his storytelling was effortless and his mentality was one that's unmatched and uh i'm gonna really miss him i'm gonna really miss him yeah i uh 
I don't have like a specific one in general. I've, I've watched so many like highlights and stuff since he, he passed away that I've seen kind of on social media. I just, in general, like it was always nice to just be able to turn on a, a game and hear him telling stories and obviously a great guy and unbelievable legend in the broadcasting game. So rest in peace, Vin Scully, lived a wonderful life, lived to a, a great age. Uh, we can all be so lucky to do so and uh, unfortunate that he's no longer with us, but certainly made an impact on uh, uh, the baseball world and the broadcasting world and in so many ways. And in our lives too, our lives too. I mean, Derek and I are both broadcasters in our own respect. And uh, you know, I think he had something to do with both of our lives of just understanding how to be better in this industry. Right. I mean, like that's the big thing. And you know, we're doing this podcast. We've been doing this for a while. And um, to think of if it wasn't for Vin, you know, he made that job not only cool, but he made it a, uh, something of an aspiring dream for both of us. And mm-hmm. we're still on that journey. Um, and I think we can thank him for at least part of the reason why we're both here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I guess we'll do a cheers. We'll, um, I don't know, a toast to, to Vin Scully. What are you drinking? Yeah, I have a mimosa. We're doing this in the morning. Uh, early morning, Vin. Uh, cheers to, to you, Vin. What, what about you? What are you drinking? Have a Powerade and vodka. <laughs> nice, nice. That's a great <laughs> combo right there. Vin would be proud. Cheers to Vin Scully on a uh, wonderful Cheers. life. Yeah, hydrate while I dehydrate at the same point in time. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> um, so our se- yeah, our season-long beer pong. Congratulations! One of us actually did it. I'm so proud. I, at this point, I just wanted somebody to do it. Uh, you hit both. You hit the Royals or the Yankees over the Royals. They won three to one in their series. You hit the Blue Jays over the Tigers. They won three to one in their series. Uh, I thought of a rule as this was going. If you don't call the sweep, but if both teams you pick get the sweep, that's like hitting the same cup, which is in beer pong. But that didn't happen, so no need to worry about that. I am down to four cups left. Dusty, uh, you have six cups left on your turn, but because you hit both, you get balls back. So uh, who are going to be your picks this week? Wow, this feels like such a great moment. I would like to thank everybody that was involved in this, specifically the Yankees. Uh, Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this was actually a really interesting slate to look at because there's probably three directions I can go here. Um, I wasn't feeling particularly confident with any other series except for maybe these three. Uh, my honest lock right now is the Nationals at the Phillies. I'm going to take the Phillies. Phillies, the new acquisitions that they've made, the fact that they're riding the hunt for the playoffs, and the fact that the Nats just have nothing to play for anymore. I, I could almost pick whatever team the Nats face off against, and if they're over 500, that'll probably be my picks moving forward just because of how bad the Nats are on paper. They do have Josiah Gray going in the opener in the series, so that's the only thing that maybe held me back a second there. But I'll take the Phillies to win the series. I'm not going to pick a sweep. But uh, I think the, the Phillies will win the series over the Nationals. As for my second choice, I'm between the Angels and Mariners or the Pirates-Orioles. Um, between these two series, the big thing is the Angels-Mariners have a doubleheader on Saturday. And that is always cause for disaster for arms and who knows what for chaos. I think the Mariners win that series, but I'm not going to do that. I am – I man, if you had told me at the start of the year that I was going to do this, I would have just said this is never going to happen. But I'm going to take the Orioles to win a series over the Pittsburgh Pirates this weekend. Mm. Uh, I just – I don't know. The, the Orioles are a fun team to watch. They're kind of trending in the right direction despite the fact that they decided for whatever reason to sell two kind of key pieces – uh, I just think the Orioles are flat out better in every facet of the game than the Pirates right now. 
and it's in Baltimore. Uh, I like the way that the pitching aligns too. You got Kramer starting out on Friday. Um, the Pirates have basically nothing in their rotation moving forward here in this schedule too. Remember they lost Jose Quintana. Um, so the Pirates rotation for the weekend, just just an idea. They have Mitch Keller going on Friday, who's three and seven. Then they have Brubaker, JT Brubaker, who's two and nine. And then they have Bryce Wilson, one and six. To me, those numbers say a lot about how awful the team has been at run support for them, how awful they've been. Uh, meanwhile, you have a barely decent rotation for the weekend for the Orioles of Kramer on Friday, as I mentioned. You have both who's one and one. I mean, I, I don't feel confident in him per se, but he's not absolutely terrible. Um, that's on Saturday. And then Sunday, I like this one. Uh, going against Bryce Wilson, it's Watkins. And uh, Watkins looked okay. Uh, 4-1 start this year. Um, he's had, he's posted a few quality starts in the process too. And, um, you know, he's 29 years old. He's kind of in his prime right now, 380 ERA. Uh, he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He allows a few guys on base every now and then, but he's managed to get out of jams in his 14 starts. I don't know. I, I, against the pirates, I feel okay. So I'll go with the Orioles. Okay. Like those picks, we're going to get into some trade deadline impacts. The trade deadline occurred and go over whether team impacts, fantasy player impact, you can take it wherever you want. We obviously have to start with the biggest trade that was made of Scott Efros going to – no, uh, Juan <laughs> Soto is now a member of the San Diego Padres. We can kind of lump all these Padres ones together. Soto, Josh Bell to the Padres for that big group of prospects headlined by Robert Hassel, James Wood, C.J. Abrams, and Mackenzie Gore. The Padres were active in other ways, though. They got Brandon Drury from the Cincinnati Reds. Josh Hader also was acquired for Asturi Ruiz, Taylor Rogers, Nelson Lamette, and a prospect. Uh, thoughts overall on, on anything from what the Padres did or, or any of the recipients on the other end of their trades? Yeah, you know, it's uh, if you play keeper fantasy baseball, you had to be all over both sides of these trades, man, because not only was the impact obviously enormous for Juan Soto and Josh Bell, now you move those two into the heart of a really good lineup already. Um, the RBIs, the on-base percentage for Juan Soto is just going to be astronomical. Like he could end up with a 500 on-base percentage, and it wouldn't shock me because this is how the lineup functions when you have guys that are in front and behind him in an order that can protect him. Um, it's going to be scary for his RBI totals, um, his home run and power production. I don't expect that to change much. Uh, he may see better pitches, but I don't know. At the end of the day, he's still the big name now in that lineup. And people are going to probably be incredibly cautious around that top three in the order. That's going to be Tatis, Soto, and Machado as well. It makes me sick just saying it as a Dodgers fan. That is a lethal top three. Um, from a fantasy perspective, though, obviously the situations for Soto and Bell increase. Josh Hader is the interesting one. Um, he does move to a ballpark where the ball doesn't fly as well. So that's probably a good thing for him because obviously Milwaukee is more of a launching pad. So that could favor him in that sense. His, honestly, I, I have a hard time from a fantasy perspective saying whether this is a great jump or not for him, just simply because he's not been that great over the last month anyways. But the Brewers don't score a lot of runs. So when Hader comes in, he gets a lot of save opportunities because they're always usually within a three, two run, you know, differential. The Padres, it's going to be a little different because this lineup can explode at any time. I, I wonder if the save opportunities, there may be less of them. I, I'm not 
100% certain how that's going to look now that you have Soto and Josh Bell. You can look at past numbers and say, well, this is what the Padres do, but this is a completely different lineup now uh, thanks to the deadline. So I, I think all the numbers in the past kind of go out the window um, with you know what Taylor Rogers was able to get save opportunities-wise because, well, he hasn't had Fernando Tatis Jr. at all in the lineup. And, of course, he hasn't had Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, or the Juan Soto in his lineup, too. So it's going to be a completely different Padres team. Um, I think from a fantasy perspective, Josh Hader's opportunities may be limited. Um, so Taylor Rogers may actually find his ERA to spike in that ballpark, but probably better opportunities, I would imagine, in Milwaukee. The big one that stands out, I'm a big SD Uri Ruiz guy, and so I, I love the move. Uh, to at least give him playing time. He was getting none in San Diego. And so he gets an opportunity to steal bases. Hopefully he gets a call up later this year in September uh, to go to the, the big league club. And also I will say this just from the overall trades that the Padres made here. I mean, what a cool opportunity if you own any of Mackenzie Gore and you knew Mackenzie Gore was going to be a starter no matter what when healthy. So probably the least beneficial out of this group, but um, Robert Hassel probably has a chance to come up quicker now. Uh, obviously James Wood, some people said that he looked like the number one prospect for the Padres at one point. Uh, that's a big statement right there. He probably gets called up quicker too. Um, and then of course, you know, you, you look at the, uh, the names that just kind of follow through with, with who they dealt, uh, to the other squads too. Now they have an opportunity, uh, that maybe they were kind of deadlocked in the, the Padres system before, and now they get a, a chance to move up. So, I don't know. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by all the prospects now on the move because their ETA may be a little bit quicker now. Yeah, Abrams is the one that I really – for immediate value because of the fact – I know he, oh. they started him in, in AAA, but – Absolutely. I would imagine he's going to come up at some point soon. And just having less pressure that he could be going up and down, I think that could be a good thing for him. I, I hope we get an all-star game at some point in, I don't know, like 2025, 2026, where we have O'Neill Cruz, Ellie De La Cruz, um, James Wood, and Aaron Judge, and it's just these four six-foot, like, seven behemoths all playing with each other in the all-star game. That'd be awesome. Um, but, yeah, he, he seems to have high potential. I'm really high on Robert Hassel, so I, I like that a lot. And then we'll see about Mackenzie Gore and everything with him going over there. Um, yeah, yeah. Juan Soto to the Padres, like you said, he's already a great player, so how much really is there to gain or lose? I do think he'll see better pitches, so I think the average is at least going to go up, but I think a lot of the other numbers will, will probably be about the same. Josh Bell is a stud. Um, I don't really see that as having a, a big impact one way or another on him going to San Diego. And then Brandon Drury is, is one that's interesting. He, he had a grand slam the other day, so he seems to be moving over just fine. But you look at the splits between home and away when he was – in Cincinnati, and they're pretty stark. I mean, you're talking 50, 60 points of average uh, alone between those two, less power and everything. So I, I do think that he is going to have a little bit of a drop-off when you look at someone who maybe broke out the first half. Sometimes those guys just tend to drop off in the second half anyway, and then you add on that it's a tougher hitter park. I think it's going to a little bit uh, be of a fall-off there, so I might be trying to sell high on him. Hater to the Padres is weird. Hater had a really bad July. Over 12 ERA for him. Even if you take a, the six-run blow-up, he still had like a seven ERA. So I don't know if something's up there or if it was just like a weird hiccup of a month for him. I mean, we've seen other closers have uh, weird blow-up months, but we just haven't really seen it with Hater yet. So I don't know what to do with that. Asturi Ruiz, 
I hope he gets a lot more playing time because he becomes a very interesting fantasy player. Denelson Lamette was dropped by the Rocky or by the uh, Brewers and was just picked up by the Rockies. I like that pickup for the Rockies. It's a low cost pickup. And when and did that move happen? It literally just happened. Uh, it just wow. happened as we're recording. So, um, like that for the Rockies, I don't get why the Brewers made this trade then. Because in my idea, it was like, you're getting more bullpen depth, which they had the top end guys, but they didn't have good bullpen depth. So it was like, use Lamette as a bullpen arm, use Rogers as a bullpen arm. Williams can slide into closer just fine. And then you drop Denelson Lamette. That was kind of weird for me. So I don't know why they did that. I don't really know what to make much of this trade, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly keeping an eye on Josh Hader. Like you said, it is a better ballpark for him, but is there something wrong there that we just don't really know about? The next team is the Seattle Mariners who acquired Luis Castillo. Boy, did they give up a lot for him, headlined by Noel V. Marte. What do you kind of make of this trade? Well, number one, if uh, back to the keeper league idea, if you own Noel V. Marte, are you not just licking your chops right now? Because let's be honest, the Seattle lineup, I think, is going to be pretty good for a while, uh, as long as J-Rod is there. But – you don't want to hit in that ballpark. You know, the weather is obviously an impact. Um, the fact that the ball doesn't really necessarily fly at T-Mobile is something that's always a concern for, you know, Seattle players. You are having Noel V. Martier move to arguably the second best hitting ballpark in all baseball. Um, that would be Cincinnati, of course, behind Coors Field. That is a launching pad. And Marte's power numbers will probably be higher now as a projected shortstop for the Reds of the future. Um, my gosh, what a cool keeper to have if you own him right now. His value just shot up, in my opinion. Um, you, you know, Luis Castillo, he is now moving to a ballpark that the ball doesn't fly, right, as well. And so he's going to a team that's going to win. The ballpark's better for him. And he's pitching at the height of his career right now. It is a win-win. If you own any of these players, you got better. That's, that's the best way to put it. Um, yeah, they gave up a heck of a lot to get Luis Castillo. But, man, I mean, look how good he's been. His fastball velocities in the 92nd percentile in baseball. Uh, his entire baseball savant page is basically all red. And he is an incredible fastball. Uh, his changeup's pretty effective as well. And then, you know, he throws a slider and a sinker as well. He's got the four-pitch repertoire, throws his fastball about 31% of the time. Um, he, he's got a good mix of his pitches, though. Throws the changeup 25% of the time, the sinker 22, slider 21. So he has great versatility in his four pitches. Um, and uh, he gets the most success, though, from his fastball, uh, it appears. Uh, I, I'm just interested to see what happens now for him in Seattle for a full-length season uh, as he enters his age 30 season next year. Um, that's going to be intriguing to watch. Yeah, he uh, he's certainly someone that has a lot to gain by this, by being in just a much better park for, for so many more starts. Um, like you said, yeah, uh, that's great for Noel V. Marte, and now the, the Reds are loaded kind of in those middle infields, so maybe he's going to even have extra positions that he's going to be having to play. Uh, the one thing there with Luis Castillo, he's tended to pitch better when the weather's been warm. So I don't know what happens once we get closer to the fall, if he drops off a little bit there, that'll be something I'm kind of monitoring, but I love this for the Mariners gives him a frontline pitcher who has been pitching like an ACE right now. He's on an absolute hot streak. 
uh, yeah, maybe it hurts them in the long term. This is a, a team who hasn't made the playoffs in, in 20 years. Go for it. Like, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I like this for Luis Castillo, and I like this for the prospects going back to the Reds as well. Tyler Malley is going to Minnesota. What do you think about that? I, you know, it, it's the same concept of, okay, he goes from one ballpark where the ball flies to a ballpark where, you know, obviously Minnesota, it's it's colder environment later in the year. Uh, but the stadium itself, it's going to hold in a lot of baseballs, especially to dead center field. Uh, that's a hard place to hit the ball out at. I, I, I'm interested because, you know, if you look at his peripheral numbers, like the, the expected slugging, the expected batting average, um, barrel rate, everything, it suggests that he is not necessarily upper echelon, but he is better than what he's shown, which is a 440 ERA. Um, his whip still is concerning to me. I don't think that's ever going to change no matter where you go, uh, but it's at 125. I think that the situation is going to be better, though, at least for wins purposes. He is only 27 years old, so he's still got some time for development. Uh, the only thing that I have a hard time with here, when's the last time that you thought to yourself that the Twins actually developed like a really good starter, right? When, when's the last time in the back of your head that you can think of? No, Probably they've done better with, like, the reclamation project. And right. not even reclamation. Like, oh, we got something out of Michael Pineda or Jake yep. Odorizzi. Yep. Kenta Maeda is the last one that I can think of, and it's that same situation where it's like they acquired a player and just kind of get maximized value. The last true Minnesota starter that I can think of, it would be, like, the, you know, Francisco Liriano or Johan Santana era, right? Like, those were the guys that they developed, and that's way in the past. So – I have a hard time seeing how exactly they maximize Mally to maybe get him to be more of an elite starter. Cause he seemed at one point, like he really could be right. Like he seemed like he could be one of the better starters in the league. Um, I like his peripherals. I like the fact that he's leaving Cincinnati. It's going to be obviously a better situation. I just don't know how much you can count on him to be that much better is I guess my, my takeaway. Okay, I have a little uh, blind comparison for you. So this is pitcher A. He has a 3.63 ERA. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm looking at the wrong thing there. Okay, uh, pitcher A has a 3.56 ERA. He has a 1.04 whip and 11.6 K per nine. Okay, got all okay. those? Okay. Pitcher B has a 3.83 ERA, a 10.1K per nine, and a .98 whip. Is the first guy Garrett Cole? First guy is Garrett Cole. And, and to be clear, I would take those numbers from Garrett Cole over pitcher B. But the point I'm making here is that, like, that's not, like, a giant difference, right? Right, right. Pitcher B is Tyler Malley in games away from Cincinnati's ballpark this nice, year. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So, again, like, you know, and it's a smaller sample size. It's only 40 innings pitched on the road. I'm not saying he's going to be Garrett Cole. Please don't value him like that. Like, Garrett Cole is obviously better than Tyler Malley. My point is that he has been better on the road, and the numbers are there. Minnesota is going to be a good uh, pitcher's park, especially once the weather cools off a little bit more than some other parks once we start getting into September and everything. So, I – I love this. Um, again, like I'm not valuing Tyler Malley as like this top 80 player or something like that all of a sudden. But, you know, if you can get him, I, I would say go for it right now. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and buy him. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, these are uh, some moves to the Yankees. Andrew Benintendi went from the Royals. Frankie Montas went from the A's to the Yankees. Thoughts on the Yankees' return and anything they gave up? 
Um, you know, the, they gave up a heck of a lot less for Montas than they did uh, in exchange for Luis Castillo, you know, like what you saw with the Mariners. Um, I thought the Yankees won big time with that trade. I, I thought the move for Ben Attendee was solid. He, he's a high average guy, and I, I like him for that. You know, they have the short porch in right field. I feel like that may be favorable to him. So I think the situation in that sense is better. But the scary thing about Ben Attendee that I'm starting to get worried about with him already right now is the Joey Gallo effect, which is he has not started out well in his time early on there. And if Joey Gallo showed us any story, it's that if you start out slow there, they're going to let you know, and they're going to be relentless about it. And it's, it's kind of sad, I, honestly. I mean, it's kind of sad because Andrew Benintendi is a Boston Red Sox alum, right? So this is only a scary... Oh, so he's a sleeper agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might be, right? He, he very well could be. He's actually working for a guy named Johnny Damon. Um, you know, it's weird. The Yankees do this a lot, actually. You have Johnny Damon, you have Jacoby Ellsbury. Andrew Benintendi is like that next person in line here of like, a former Red Sox outfielder going to the Yankees. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's scary because if Ben Attendee doesn't show out here early, like what he's showing, he's going to have a horrible time there. Because if Gallo showed us one thing, it's that there there's a, an impact that numbers do not show, and that is called the Yankees fan base and the New York <laughs> media that can just ruin you mentally. Um, and I sure hope for Andrew Ben Attendee's sake that that's not going to be the case. But Joey Gallo straight up checked out, man. I mean – there are just sad interviews about him uh, out there regarding the New York fan base. And he just looks sad literally all the time. Um, I've interviewed Joey Gallo and he was not like that in Texas. So I think that there's a real effect there. And I'm just going to say it. I, I'm worried about Ben Attendee because of that. So hopefully he gets out of whatever little early funk he's got going here. But um, the numbers show that it should support him. I just it, that it's the mental side. It's the probably not so much numerical, but more in person, real life situation that scares me. Yeah, the one thing that I think is going his way, he's been a very streaky hitter. Like he'll have like a two week stretch where he hits like 400, and then a two week stretch where like right now he's like you know I don't know one of his last 15 or something like that. Um, but I do 100 percent agree. Like that that very much scares me that that it's the same thing as Joey Gallo. But if he can get back to hitting you know at a 320 rate with that shorter porch and right. It's a valuable player. But, yeah, I do agree. I am worried about that. Uh, the Frankie Montas one, I don't really know what to think because I'm still very worried about the shoulder injury. But And also his ERA over the course of his career is higher on the road than it is at Oakland Coliseum, which makes sense because that's one of the best pitchers parked there. Huge is, foul ground. Huge foul ground. Yeah, very big. Um, but, like, if his ERA goes up half a run – but instead of being three and nine, he's now, I don't know, eight and four in those games, you know, with the Yankees. Does that balance it enough? Does that make it even more worthwhile to have him? I, I don't really know where to stand there. I do like Waldachuk going over to the A's. I'm a big JP Sears guy, just kind of a control pitcher. And being in that pitcher park, like, uh, he's someone that I'm definitely keeping my eye on in the right matchup to be a streamer. Like, if the A's are hosting the, the Rangers or something like that, or the Angels without Mike Trout in the lineup. Like, that's something that I'm kind of very interested by. Uh, how about Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini going to the Astros? Vasquez doesn't do a heck of a lot for me of a difference. You know, he was in a pretty decent lineup for the most part, and he's moving to another decent lineup in two ballparks where the ball kind of, you know, it gets out a little bit easier. Uh, but Trey Mancini is an amazing fantasy addition right now. 
you've seen Mancini be able to win you a fantasy playoff before. He's he's had just tears later in the season, and now he's going to a ballpark that literally fits his IQ. He's a dead pole hitter. He is great pop to left field, and he's now just going to take full advantage of the Crawford boxes, which he already has, by the way. He's already hit a home run into those boxes. I think that if there's a guy right now to go after in your fantasy leagues, you're talking about a guy that's going to have protection across the order. It's Trey Mancini. I think that his fantasy value just spiked significantly to the point where I would not be shocked if he puts up the kind of numbers that he gets to be like, you know, a borderline top 100 guy by the end of the year. I a hundred percent agree. I think a lot of people probably saw the the stat that was floating around about uh, the amount of home runs he hit. Uh, with the Orioles was 11, but if you were playing all the games in Houston's ballpark, because it's, it's just more of a porch, especially with Baltimore moving the fences back uh, in left field is that he would be at like 22. I mean, that is, that's a gigantic difference, right? So uh, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I would probably be valuing him as a top 100 player. Okay. These ones are going to go a little quicker. Um, any thoughts on Rysel Iglesias to the Braves, Whit Merrifield to the Blue Jays, uh, Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Marsh, David Robertson to the Phillies. Yeah, I hate the uh, Russell Iglesias move to the Braves. I own him in our fantasy league, and that that one's uh, that one's pretty tough. Um, yeah, he basically lost all his value in every league. If you're not in a holds league, if you're in a holds league, he'll get holds. He's going to get the opportunity. The Braves went away with Will Smith, who wasn't pitching very well. Um, I think Iglesias will be probably their eighth inning guy. Uh, but the scary thing is, is what if they want to bring in? Uh, Tyler Matzik in the eighth inning, you know, like then you have Iglesias in the seventh. I don't know. I just think the opportunity is definitely much more limited. Um, he'll have probably better opportunities because the angels find ways to blow games all the time, but he was kind of part of the problem there in Anaheim too. So maybe a change of scenery in a place where they know how to develop bullpen. Maybe he can get back on track because he was kind of at a bad point earlier this year. I don't know. I, I'm just not a huge fan of this. It, it sucks for Iglesias. For the other moves that you mentioned there, um, yeah, you know, it, a few that I guess stand out. The, the cinder guard's going to be interesting just because he goes to a ballpark where the ball flies even more, and it's not like he's been particularly great as a fantasy asset. I think his value somehow, the only thing he gains in is wins, if anything. Um, but that doesn't do a heck of a lot for me. David Robertson, I think that he probably gains a little bit of fantasy value here. Uh, as long as they guarantee that he's slotted in as closer, um, that's going to be interesting to monitor because Robertson kind of fits in the mold of Sir Anthony Dominguez and Brad Hand, where it almost doesn't feel like a guarantee that he's going to be the closer, right? It feels like they could almost go a committee. So I, I'm not 100% buying it just yet, but I think it'll be better. Um, and then Brandon Marsh is the one that's interesting to me because he's going to a team that's completely different where the ball flies and I think his numbers will improve. He's such a young guy that, you know, it's a guy that I'm definitely circling as keeping my eye on now he's in Philly. Yeah, uh, Marsh, I think, helps their defense. They needed that, but fantasy-wise, not really interested. Syndergaard, okay, again, good for their starting pitching. Not really interested. Don't love the way that his stuff has looked this year. Uh, like you said, uh, I don't really know what they're going to do at the back end of the bullpen there. Even Corey Knebel, like, it's, it's kind of weird. Whit Merrifield to the Blue Jays is just kind of funny. It's ironic because of what happened. Um, but not overly interested there unless you need steals. Iglesias is interesting to me in a keeper league. Uh, like you said, if you have holds, then he still has value and everything. But in a keeper league, first of all, is he even good enough to be kept, depending on how many people you keep? Maybe it's a dynasty league where you keep everyone. I don't know. But Kenley Jansen, who's the closer, is only on a one-year contract. 
And Iglesias is part of this. He has like, what, three more years? He just signed that contract. Long deal, long-term deal, yeah. So there's a very good chance Iglesias is the closer next year and moving forward on a very good team. That becomes interesting to me. But yeah, for this year, unless you're in a holds league, that's kind of unfortunate there. Uh, how about any of these? Eric Hosmer and Tommy Pham going to the Red Sox. Jake Odorizzi to Atlanta for Will Smith, who you mentioned. He goes to Houston. And then Michael Fulmer and Jorge Lopez bolstering the Minnesota bullpen. Any of those stick out to you? Uh, the Red Sox, I can't figure out what the heck they're doing. Um, the Odorizzi, Will Smith move, it was more of an organizational move for both of them. Don't see any fantasy implications there. The Fulmer and Lopez one certainly does have implications because Minnesota needed a closer. And I have a gut feeling that this is going to temporarily be like a committee of uh, however they line up better here. But it's going to be Lopez is, is who I would assume. He's the better reliever there. But Fulmer is really good for holds. And if you're in a, you know, a Yahoo league where you get the starting pitcher RP, I mean, Fulmer can definitely get you value there. So I think that their value both increases with this move. Hosmer I'm keeping an eye on because that, I don't know, the, the pesky Poland right could be interesting to me. And he has like, uh, 330 average or something in his career in Boston. So that, uh, I, keeping an eye on it. I, I'm not like totally into it yet. Like I said, nothing really to add on Odorizzi or Will Smith. Uh, Lopez, it was nice to see his first appearance with the Twins, was in the ninth inning, used this as a closer. That was my one question. Like, is he going to be the full-time closer? He still could be part-time. I don't know. Maybe they'll use Fulmer in certain regards. Uh, maybe they'll use someone else, but um, you know, Joanne Duran or whoever. But I, I think that was a good sign for Lopez, especially in certain leagues where he has that spark eligibility. Okay, anything of note from, I guess I'll call this kind of like the bargain bin. Uh, Robbie Grossman goes to the Braves. Joey Gallo to the Dodgers. Anthony Bass, Zach Pop as relievers go to the Blue Jays. Trevor Rosenthal and Matt Bush go to the Brewers. We had Scott Efros go to the Yankees. Harrison Bader was traded to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery, who goes to the Cardinals. Darren Ruff and Michael Gibbons to the Mets. They send J.D. Davis to the Giants. Kurt Casale, Jake Lamb, and Matt Boyd to the Mariners. And then we had Jose Siri, David Peralta, and Garrett Clevenger to the Rays. Uh, what's your favorite, I don't know, impact of, of any of those there? Well, I think Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals is going to be interesting because he leaves a ballpark where the ball flies to probably the hardest ballpark to hit a home run out of um, and also a place where they kind of breed pitching. So I think Jordan Montgomery is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I like Scott Efros in the Yankees system just because the holds are crazy. And if you watch the, the movement he has on his pitches, I mean, this guy has just filthy stuff. The one that I actually am most intrigued by, though, is your guy, J.D. Davis, because if you look at any advanced metrics – this dude looks like he should be hitting like 25, 30 home runs. And, and I don't understand what's been going on. It's been playing time partially. And I think that the New York, you know, pressure and everything that goes into that maybe has played a role too. But he's going to a San Francisco team where he's going to get his opportunity. Uh, obviously, the ball doesn't fly that well in San Francisco. But he hit a home run just the other day off Clayton Kershaw opposite field. I, I, this guy clearly still has the pop. Um, he's 29 years old. It's not like he's an old guy. We seem to have just counted him out. And I think San Francisco is a great spot for him to just kind of redevelop. And I, I mean, this dude has the chance to be really, really good. I still believe, I mean, his exit velocity is his barrel rate. It's all ridiculous. And it's just like, he's had no results to show for. So I'm curious about that one. Yeah, I uh, am interested by Matt Bush to the Brewers. They could use that back-end bullpen, especially after dropping to Nelson Lamette. And he has starting pitcher eligibility, at least on Yahoo Leagues, which is interesting to me. But 
He's also, you look at his like stuff numbers off the charts good so far, but his first two appearances there has been blown up both times. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, outside of that, how about Jose Siri to the Rays? I know you're a big Jose Siri guy. Yeah. Now he's going to get opportunity there. He's not going to hit for high average. They so don't expect that, but he has power. He has speed. That's a nice little combination. Think like a, uh, I don't know, lesser version of way lesser version uh, of the name I'm about to say, but Jazz Chisholm, right? Uh, that's the potential there uh, of I, what that could be. I see a Tommy Pham kind of situation with Tampa Bay for them. I, I mean, yeah, I like Jose Siri a lot. I just the, – the Rays scare me just because of their whole platoon stuff. Who, who knows how they develop their hitters? All right, we got to go real fast on the shotgun six-pack. One-word answers. Who gained the most at the trade deadline besides the Padres? Uh, I Oh, wow. Um, I guess the – we'll say the Mariners. We'll say the Mariners. I will, so I don't take the same one. I'll say the Phillies because they filled a lot of holes. Who lost the most at the trade deadline? Yeah, you could argue the the Orioles probably lost a lot. Um, I'm just going to say technically the Nationals. I mean, the Nationals lost the most mm -hmm. pieces. So that that's the easiest answer right there. All my, my out of left field one is St. Louis. They didn't get like any big target that they wanted to get. Uh, who didn't sell enough the most at the yeah. deadline? You and I are going to have the same answer here, and rightfully so. I, I'll, you know what? I'll give you the Rockies because the okay. Rockies suck. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that, that's the right answer. Uh, outside of that, I'll go with the Giants. Honorable mention to the Royals and Cubs. Uh, I don't know what they were like, – at least the Royals sold away. Uh, who had the most confusing deadline? I, you know, the Dodgers was kind of confusing. Mm. I don't really yeah. like the fact that they got Joey Gallo and they traded away Mitch White and now Clayton Kershaw is hurt. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll go with the Red Sox. Um, what team made the biggest mistake of standing pat and not buying? Ooh. Uh, you could make an argument the Giants because yeah. they're not trading away their pieces. Then why the heck go did they it. buy? So, yeah, I'll take mm -hmm. the Giants. Yeah, that's a good one. At least improve your outfield defense or, or something. The defense is so bad. It's so horrible to watch. Uh, I'll go with Cleveland. You know, they're in it. Again, you have a low payroll, so it's not like you need to, like, save money or anything. Like, Go out and get someone. At least make a small addition, right? Uh, okay, over-under, 20, 24 and a half for the Reds' next playoff appearance. So over means the earliest is 2025. Under means they make it either next year or in 2024. I'll say over. I just think the, the development of Noel is going to take a little longer. Uh, but they're, they're on their way. That, that is actually a really scary farm system. Yeah, for sure. 2025 and beyond, I don't know, maybe get your uh, early World Series tickets out there for the Cincinnati Reds. But, uh, yeah, probably a little too early to do in the next couple of years. Who knows? Maybe Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and Graham Ashcraft become like a uh, stud one, two, three. But he is Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That is Booze and Baseball. We'll see you next week.